We have all experienced moments in our journey of faith that seemed as if we're on a roller coaster. Now, some love roller coasters and they feel like they're exciting and thrilling, but for others, it scares the life out of you and maybe even gets you sick. Roller coasters might be a great part of an amusement park experience, but they shouldn't be a part of our daily life. I'm your host, Roger Nelms, and over the past nearly 30 years of ministry, I've witnessed so many struggle through roller coaster Christianity because of a lack of spiritual disciplines. Hey, listen, I've even experienced this cycle myself, so you're not alone. This podcast is for Christians who want to get off the up and down cycle of passive faith and learn how to live the abundant life that God intended. So twice a month, we're going to discuss biblical truth and action steps that will put you in the driver's seat of your spiritual development and also empower you to maintain an upward growing faith that not only benefits you, but makes an impact in the world around you. You're listening to The 12, building habits that lead to spiritual maturity. Stick around. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, leave comments, share it with your friends, and even leave us a review. Enjoy the show. Have you ever played one of those uh, arcade racing games where it seems like the faster you go, the harder it is to control, but yet the faster you go, you get to the time trial or the, the next flag or the next stage quicker. And the quicker you get there, it's like you get bonus time. And the more bonus time you get, the longer you can play the game. I think sometimes we we kind of act like that's that's what life is. The faster we go, the more we do, the the quicker we get to the goal or the deadline or whatever it is, we feel like we're going to get more time added. Uh, but it doesn't always work that way. In fact, how many times have you even said to yourself or thought to yourself something like, if only I had an extra day in the week, or maybe if only I had another hour in my day, right? I mean, come on, we've all probably said that. In fact, just last week, I was talking with, with Pastor Oric, and we were talking about the same thing. Man, if only I had an extra day, how much can I get done? But let's be serious, though. If, if that were even something possible, what would you actually do with that extra day or that extra hour? How would you spend it? Now, chances are you would probably be pretty quick to fill it up with something else uh, and then yet still afterwards say, if only I had another day or another hour. In fact, that's the exact reason why John Mark Homer wrote his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And uh, if you haven't read it, I challenge you to read it because it helps you to kind of evaluate how you're spending your time, what you're doing, and making sure that you're focused on the right thing, which obviously is Jesus. Um, but man, in the Gospels, Jesus actually asks the crowd a question, kind of a little bit on this line, and uh, it's when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, and he says, who of you by worry can add a single hour to his life? Now, obviously, we can't do that, right? Uh, and, and I would think that none of us truly you know, we, we don't know what tomorrow holds or what it's going to bring, but I think we all hope and we all pray that uh, that we're going to have a long life and, and uh, we're, it's going to be filled with success and prosperity, that we would live a long and meaningful and purposeful life that, that leaves a legacy and even that makes God smile. I mean, I know that's that's what I want and I'm sure it's what you want as well. But in the days of the kings in the Old Testament, the days of the kings of Israel and Judah, there were quite a few kings that did not 
put a smile on the face of God. In fact, most did evil and brought judgment upon themselves and the nation of Israel. In fact, we know that at the, after David was king, that it was a divided kingdom and that that kingdom that God put together, man split apart. And uh, so, but in seven, uh, 715 BC, a young adult named Hezekiah, he became king of Judah and his father Ahaz, who was the king before him, did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, man, it was crazy. He actually sacrificed Hezekiah's brother, his own son. He, he sacrificed him in the fire to a false god. That's how far he was from doing what God had called him to do. That's crazy. Now, thankfully, that wasn't Hezekiah that got that got sacrificed because then we wouldn't have this story that we're about to talk about here. So thankfully, this this young king didn't follow in his father's footsteps. And in 2 Kings 18, 3 and 4, it states that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, it says that he removed the high places that was that was the places where they were worshiping other gods, the false gods. He removed those places. He smashed the sacred stones. He cut down the Asherah poles and he, he even broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made back when they were wandering in the wilderness. Remember that story? The bronze snake because all the, uh, the children of Israel complained and, and God calls vipers to come out and start biting them and a bunch of them died. And, uh, and so God uh, had mercy on them though and Moses prayed and they, they created this bronze snake. And, uh, and God said, if, if you get bitten and you look at the snake, you'll be healed. It was just another, well, it was a lot of, there's a lot more into that. But man, they took that, that uh, significant piece of history and, uh, and they, they destroyed it by, by burning incense to that, to that, uh, that snake and uh, thinking that that was, they've really basically made it into a god. And so that was one of the things that, that Hezekiah destroyed as well. That's how crazy it was in these days. They had moved so far from God, but Hezekiah brought them back to where God wanted them to be. And Hezekiah, it says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. And in fact, it says in verse 5 that there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And if you read on, it says that the Lord was with him and he had success in whatever he undertook. Now, a few years into his reign, though, um, as always, there's always going to be an enemy that comes along. A few years later, the Assyrians came against uh, Israel and actually carried them off into captivity. But again, like we said, they're in a divided kingdom. Uh, and Hezekiah was king over Judah, not Israel. And so this Assyrian king, after carrying off Israel into captivity, he sets his eyes on Judah. And he actually camps his, his uh, uh, huge army right at the doorstep uh, of Judah. And, uh, and he starts really using intimidation, and he sends these, uh, these messengers to, to Hezekiah and to his men, saying that, don't believe in God. What, why would you believe in it? He's not going to bring you victory. And they were really mocking God, trying to use intimidation tactics, and really they were trying to entice them to either fight or surrender. Now, Hezekiah, however, he maintains his composure. He listens to the prophet Isaiah, because this is where Isaiah comes on the scene, this great man of God. And Hezekiah uh, takes him uh, to, to be his spiritual guide. 
and he listens to the prophet, and uh, and then he prays. Hezekiah prays. He seeks God, and then Hezekiah comes back, prophesies to him again. And I love this part in 2 Kings 19.25. It says, That night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. How cool is that? This Assyrian uh, uh, king who is being such a bully and he tucks his tail and he runs. He knows he's defeated. He goes back to his hometown of Nineveh and he goes into his own temple to worship and to probably ask his false god, why did this happen? And as he's worshiping his false god, his two of his sons come in and cut him down with the sword and they kill him. So all the prophecy of uh, that Isaiah gave to Hezekiah and that Hezekiah went to the Lord with came to pass. Now, talk about a great story. It's, it's like you couldn't ask for a better outcome. Judah finally has a great king again. I mean, it's, it's been since David, really, that they've had this great king. And remember, the Bible said that he was the best king of Judah. There was nobody better before him and nobody better after him. And so finally, Judah has this great king. And the prophet Isaiah is, is by his side, giving him spiritual insight and support. And Judah doesn't even have to lift the sword, and they receive this miraculous victory. Their outlook had never been stronger. And in fact, I would even venture to say that they probably thought this was going to be the king that brought them back into unity as one nation. But then comes chapter 20, an unexpected gut punch. Now, I'm not sure how many fights that you've ever been in in life, and hopefully it's none. But if you have, uh, when you see the punch coming, especially, you know, when you see the punch coming to your stomach, you can tighten up. You can try and absorb some of the force of that punch and, and maybe not have that much of an effect on you. But, man, if you don't see it coming, it hits you, and all you want to do is double over on the ground in pain and maybe even cry. And as a kid, one of my friends, uh, his father had this had this kind of pot belly, and uh, and he would always ask us uh, to punch him in his belly as hard as we can. And now we were just teenagers, and I was a scrawny one at that. And I would re- literally stand in front of him, wind up as far as I can, and hit him as hard as I can, and literally it would just bounce off his belly because he saw it coming. His son would do the same, and his son was much bigger than me, a little bit older than me, and still it was like just bouncing right off of him, like he was bulletproof. But one time, Lenny caught him off guard. His dad wasn't ready, and he punched him in the gut, and his dad got hurt. (laughs) It was kind of funny for me, not funny for his dad. You know, figuratively speaking, uh, a gut punch is something that catches us off guard, and it brings this negative impact, and actually it hurts and it sucks. And here in chapter 20, Hezekiah receives a very unexpected gut punch. Hezekiah falls ill to the point of death. In fact, Isaiah swings by and becomes the bearer of bad news. And in chapter 20, verse 1, right after this huge, glorious victory, he comes with these words and he says, put your house in order because you're going to die. You will never recover. Now, we've all probably had a personal gut punch in our lifetime. Maybe it was a loved one passing, loss of a job, rejection of a a boyfriend or a girlfriend, an unexpected bill. Who knows? We've all had them. And now, I'll be honest, my initial reaction in this story when 
all of a sudden he's doing things right. It's a great king, this great victory. And now this, my first reaction is, are you kidding me? God, how can you let this happen? And it's probably the same reaction we've had towards God when our own gut punches have come. After all the ups and downs of these different kings and the problems that they inflicted on God's people, they finally have this cream of the crop king. He, like I said, he might be the one that actually would unify the nations together. And he starts making things happen, but now he's about to die. And Hezekiah, he does what men of God do. He turns his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. Now, granted, I'm sure part of his prayer included, God, why would you let this happen to me? How, what's going to happen next? I'm sure there was a lot of things and maybe even slightly fearful, not for his own life. Because, you know, when I think of kings, I don't envision them as being afraid of death. In fact, I see them in my mind's eye as being born into royalty, but bred for battle. And after Hezekiah prayed, though, it says that, that he wept bitterly. But I don't see that weeping as a fear of death or a cowardice, but rather as a disappointment that he didn't have more time to do for God's people and God's kingdom. I don't know, perhaps it was even one of those moments where he thought to himself, as we often do, if only I had one more day, one more hour, just a little bit more time. And as I was meditating on this verse this week, the Holy Spirit reminded me of, of a verse that we referred to earlier on in this Jesus Sermon on the Mount where he said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? None of us can, right? But if you continue through in that passage, keep reading, Jesus goes on to put breath back into our lungs after that gut punch. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us as well. See, Hezekiah had no idea what tomorrow would bring when he stood against that king of Assyria, yet he put God's kingdom first, literally and spiritually. And I believe that he was ready to die in battle if necessary. Now with this illness though, he knew what tomorrow was gonna bring. He knew and he could probably feel death knocking on his door. And of course, he didn't want to die. And you could read in Isaiah 38, 9 through 20, Isaiah's uh, record of, of his emotion, of Hezekiah's emotion in this moment. But God heard Hezekiah's prayer, his turn to the wall to pray. He heard him. And before Isaiah even got off the palace grounds, God sent him back to the king to prophesy again. He said this in verse 5 and 6. He said, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. I will heal you. In fact, I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city, not just for your sake, but for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. And that's the great thing about God. When he brings healing, when he brings the miraculous, even that victorious battle that he won earlier, it was all not just for him as an individual person, but it was for his people. See, I believe it was in Hezekiah seeking his kingdom and his righteousness that then all these things were added to him as well. What would you have done if you were in Hezekiah's shoes and suddenly discover that you're going to die? How, how have you even been currently seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness? 
And I think even the bigger question, the one that really hit me in the gut when I was reading this passage was, what would I do if I were given a 15-year bonus to live? Now, I admit, not knowing what tomorrow holds is a bit unnerving. However, I think that finding out that you're about to die would be a hundred times more unnerving. Worrying about the unknown, though, has has never really helped anyone. However, seeking him first, seeking his kingdom, culture, and priorities, and then seeking his righteousness, being in that growing relationship with God, that, however, will chart our course and shape history. It's in that pursuit and passion that God then relents. He changes his mind. He moves heaven and earth to demonstrate his love and his mercy, and he brings another miracle. I guess if I were to preach this text, uh, my points would be something like, first, be ready for the unexpected, and then uh, let your first response always be prayer, always turn to Jesus, and then finally just live your life as if it, uh, or live today as if it were your last. Um, But for me right now, in this moment, uh, my personal takeaway is really just to consider my next 15 years. I mean, I'm about 52 years old, and well, I'm about to be 52, and 15 years from now would put me right around the retirement age. Not not that I ever see myself retiring. I'm probably going to work until the last day I breathe. Uh, But my conviction is that I want to make my next 15 years as productive and God-centered as I possibly can. Maybe that might mean uh, continuing my education or writing another book or definitely to be discipleship focused and maybe finding more opportunities to, to share the gospel or maybe even to preach or to teach. And, but the question is, what about you then? What are you, what, what does seeking first look like to you? And how, how do you respond even to the unexpected? So let me pray with you right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Hezekiah and his faithfulness and your miraculous, the the victory and the healing at his gut punch moment in life. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would help us to be ready for the unexpected. And when those gut punches come, that our first response would be to turn to you, to pray, to trust you. Help us to live our life as if as if tomorrow was our last day, yet plan purposefully as if we've just been given 15 bonus years to live. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The 12. I hope that it encouraged your heart and challenged your spirit. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast so that others can hear the message and be encouraged in their own faith. In fact, I would be so grateful if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast in order for others to get the message. If you're interested in getting your own copy of The 12, you can visit my webpage at rogernelms.com. And if you've already read the book, I would love to hear what you think. Drop me a line or leave a review on the source page that you ordered it from. Thanks again. Keep listening. God bless.